Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 368 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Ham Shack. And we'll just start off with the hosts. Cheryl is not going to be with us tonight, W5MOO. So for her, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. What, did I get you off guard already? Well, I was like waiting for you to say your call sign too, so. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> You oh, you did? did? Uh, it made, made, made sense. So. <laughs> okay, so and this yeah. is like this is like the Casey Neistat episode, isn't episode, isn't it? Because it's three six eight. Casey the, Neistat episode. Yeah, because it's like that. That's the, the like the business he left behind in uh, in uh, New York. That was his last project before he left to L.A. He uh, he created three six eight. Okay, well, you, you have to watch Casey Neistat, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. There's a there's a reference there I'm not getting, so it, it's okay. I'll figure it out. Do I just Google for three six eight? Is that going to not yeah, have me if, well, twelve million just, hits? <laughs> I bet you if you just three six eight, it'll probably be one of the early results or three six eight with Casey Neistat. So okay, it'll probably it'll probably auto complete. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, this episode is one that was brought to us, or the topic at least was brought to us by a listener, and they wanted to know all about remote operation of a ham station. So we're going to talk a little bit about the different ways you can remote operate a ham station. As I recall from the the information they provided us, they have a situation where they have a, a home where they want to operate out of, and the place where they can place their antennas and rigs and so on is, you know, a few, well, you know, a few hundred feet away, something like that, I guess, on the property somewhere. But the situation dictates that they can't have their equipment and the house at the same spot. And this probably affects more than one person. And it also is a good way to just do remote operation if you happen to be away from home somewhere. You know, like our friend Tony is, he's, uh, he's a long way from home, but when he is home, he can operate remotely his station from wherever he happens to be. And, you know, there's, there's lots of interesting ways that you can get your ham radio fix if, even if you're not next to your equipment. So we're going to talk about some ways you can do that. And, uh, the first solutions we're going to talk about are pretty state straightforward solutions and probably uh, the simplest ones, the first one being simply to uh, X-forward via SSH your applications from one computer to another. Now, I suppose we should caveat all of this with the notion that you have to have accessibility to the remote machines <laughs> that you're going to to connect to. <laughs> so, well, I think I think before we really get into the role of your own is the fact that you know, let's let's say you have already set up 
your own Linux box as your operating station. And this is the way you access your radio currently if you're sitting in front of it. And the roll your own solutions are ways you can get to that box that is already configured for, you know, rig control and everything else. I think that's kind of the preface. Right. That, is that you kind of already have a working system. You know, you have your digital modes, you have your login, you have everything. And for this particular case, you're going to use uh, the ability to actually get to that machine. So, and, and we are we are going to be definitely Linux centric in this and open source centric, but that's not necessarily the case. If you have a network accessible Windows machine or even a Mac machine that you're using as your Shack computer, some of these options will still work for you. And uh, but generally speaking, we're going to be talking about if your Shack is a Linux based machine, and in the first instances, a Linux-based machine that is already, like we said, up and operational, connected to your rigs, operating with software, so on and so forth. So I guess then we'll just dive into the first one, which is, to me, certainly, well, okay, it's probably the third easiest of the options. <laughs> <laughs> this this is, is more of an old-school hacker way of doing things, if uh, I were to say it, because you have to be fairly familiar with the command line. To well, set up your own SSH tunnels. You you do, but you don't even have to set up tunnels for a lot of this stuff. If if you if you just have a machine that's sitting on a network connected to radios and such, uh, maybe you have the rig control daemon running in the background, and and all you need to do is take the applications and display them locally. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm with you. Yeah. Then then doing SSH exporting is really really simple even though it's command line based and it's always disabled by default. I've never seen a distribution that had this set up and, and where you go in to actually enable SSH D for <laughs> exporting. Right. so it's on the daemon itself. The client will, will inherit the, the daemon's capabilities, but the daemon itself, you go into what slash Etsy slash SSHD underscore config. Is that where it's at these days? Yes, and actually, I think a lot of distributions still enable exporting by default. But if it if they don't, then Etsy SSH SSHD underscore uh, config is where you would find it. And there's literally a line in there that says something along the lines of exporting, <laughs> and you just turn it on and restart the SSH daemon. And in rare instances, I've seen where you have to actually have a .x authority file. With some kind of information, but I don't know that that's entirely yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, that that might be old, old school. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at my generic install of Ubuntu 20.04, and it is definitely commented out, and it's in the fourth line from the bottom. Well, let me look at mine just out of curiosity because I I literally forwarded. Oh, uh, but that might mean it's it's set by default. That, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's on uh, by default. Okay. Uh, the only reason I say that is because I literally just forwarded FL Digi from my Shack computer to my Mac here using uh, SSH exporting, and I don't remember touching that file. So let's see, sshd underscore config exporting. Let's see. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that's commented out is exporting no, so it must be on by default. Uh, yeah, and on my, on this particular machine, which is a budgie machine, I think it's, I think it's our spin. <laughs> um, X, X11 forwarding, yes, is uncommented, and I'm pretty sure that was default. 
So hmm, interesting. So which, whichever way it is, whether you comment out the no or enable the yes, <laughs> uh, go into Etsy SSH SSHD underscore config and set X11 forwarding appropriately. Then you go yeah, ahead well, and good. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, you were just now getting into the part I was going to say. <laughs> well, like I said, this can be all you. If you want to talk about it. I'm, I'm no, all- no, 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 no. This is good. This is good. <laughs> okay. So there's only a couple of flags I usually use for this, uh, especially if you're on a local network, you can just do drop to the command line on your remote machine. We're going to, I guess we should preface this by saying the, and I, I was about to say that backwards. So I'm good. I'm glad I'm prefacing this now. <laughs> So, so the remote machine is going to be the machine where all your rigs are connected to. It's where you normally operate, blah, 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 blah. And the local machine is going to be like where you are now. Okay. So the, that's the, uh, that's the bracketed nomenclature we're going to use now. <laughs> so, so on your local machine, you would just drop to a command line and you would type SSH space dash capital X space and then the host of your remote machine. In my case, it's Hamshack dot k5tux.us and then a space and then the name of the application you want to run it's as simple as that and what's your password <laughs> <laughs> that that machine is not accessible from the internet so <laughs> <laughs> now now that's part of it if, if you want to uh, get this to work away from home you're going to need uh your your machine already exposed any port you need to get to exposed via your router that is your uh, internet connection you know, transform that gives you your local network to the uh, public network, which is your cable modem, your, you know, DSL modem, what have you, super Google fiber land if you're Tony. <laughs> right. And you also can do VPNs. If you're into VPNs, you can have a point to point VPN set up and then all of this will work just as if you were at your remote station. Uh, going into setting up VPNs and port forwarding is beyond the scope of this tutorial. <laughs> so um just remember that's something you're gonna have to set up and, and make sure is working and also make sure your local machine that's that's at the remote site also has uh if it has like you know PF or UFW or IP tables or some something locally set up that you make sure it's either off or these ports are appropriately unblocked. So uh so then if if, if all of that is done then again, SSH dash capital X host name, application name. And the miracle of SSH exporting will just literally run that application on the remote machine and show you the output of the application on the local machine. It just works. There's no, no tweaking, no special things you need to do. And if it's a decent connection, it should be fairly responsive as well. Uh, you can also use the dash capital C with your dash capital X and that will compress data going across the pipe, which might help in some situations. And you can also use dash Y to encrypt the data across the SSH tunnel if you are really paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mostly you're just going to be passing video bit, you know, bit data, pixel data across the network just so the local machine can redraw the application at wherever you happen to be looking at it. And so all of the, all of the connections, the remote rig connections, the audio connections and everything are all going to be handled on the remote end. So this is not going to forward audio, you know, through this connection. Um, so you're not going to be able to, 
you know, have a microphone hooked up on your local machine and do free TV or anything like that. We're going to talk about some options where you can do that, but this is not one of those. Right. And I, I, I think you sort of mentioned it, but I want to make it perfectly clear that using this particular method, um, allows you to run apps, does yes. not allow you to run your desktop. So this is not a way to look at your entire desktop. This is a way to run applications. Right. Specifically applications. Cause really what's happening. The only thing that's really happening in this instance is the application is running where it's at. All it's doing is forwarding the output of the video to you. You're just seeing the application's desktop interface. That's it. Right. So everything the only else latency is the drawing of the video is not anything with to do with the application itself. Right. And for a lot of situations, that's really nice because you don't have the overhead of passing the actual computation across the network, just just the drawing of the video. Um, if And you can do that multiple times. You can have multiple applications running over multiple SSH tunnels. Works fine. Uh, I've also logged in just with all that set, and then I, uh, I just um, ampersand the uh, commands back, and it sends it back to the console. And it sends it back to the X server. So I log in with, uh, you know, X forwarding turned on and everything else, compression. And then I'll just say in the command line, so I'll be, you know, I'll be secure shelled in and I'll just type in WSJTX and then space ampersand and it'll send it to the display zero, which at the time from the console, it understands that it is the SSH or the X tunneling. Right. Because it's already instantiated. You're just invoking it. Right. Yeah. So you can, you can launch multiple apps from the same session. You don't have to set up multiple sessions for each app. It, it will maintain sanity doing that. Right. And we're also going to put a caveat in here that we're talking about doing this using X as in Xorg. I don't have enough information to describe how any of this would work using Wayland. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you're using Wayland, switch to X. <laughs> and and you can do that so um and in this instance if you're doing linux to linux it works natively however if you are if your local machine is not linux you can still do this um using an ssh client like for example on a mac um you can you know you can drop to a shell and execute ssh just like you would on a linux machine but you have to have the x server local to you so that it can render the data coming through the SSH tunnel. So in order to do that, there's a handy little Xorg server written for Mac called Xquartz, and that's basically just download a DMG, double-click it, and it runs. And when you SSH-X you know, into your remote machine, run an application, it just starts the Xquartz server, and your display looks just as it would uh, if you were using Linux. And you can also do this using Windows. If you have SigWin, uh, you can use SigWin X. And you took out the other thing, WSL2, or is that what the VX? Yeah, I haven't tested uh, Windows Subsystem for Linux 2. There's some there's some ways you can uh, target that screen, but I haven't tested it, so I don't want to. I don't want to say you can do that. So this is something else I found while I was looking for instructions for WSL2 is uh, VCX Serve. Uh, XSRV, VCXSRV. And it's one I haven't tried out before. I have used Sigwin X before and it works perfectly fine. Um, so you'd have no problem at all using that. 
right? Sigwin provides an, an environment, a Linux type environment on a Windows machine. And Sigwin X just happens to have an X server built into it. So you just, you know, drop to that command line, the Sigwin command line and do your same SSH exporting type command. And it will use the Sigwin X server locally to display your application. So it, it'll work across platforms and, you know, like I said, this is probably the the third simplest, or maybe the second simplest, because the other two are sort of tied for first, because <laughs> they they <laughs> they do the same thing. They just use different protocols, and we're talking about doing full desktop sharing instead of application sharing using VNC or RDP, and they both work the same way. They just operate with different protocols, and they operate on different ports. So, like natively. Um, VNC runs on what does it run on? What's the port for VNC? <laughs> I don't know. Um, ninety one hundred normally. Ninety one hundred, and I think RDP is like thirty three eighty nine. I think that's the default for for RDP. Yeah. So if you're if you're going to use XRDP or VNC, you just have to have a server running on the remote machine. Uh, tight VNC is one. I think there's like Tiger VNC. There's there used to be others. I don't there's know. There's XVNC server. There's there's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they all use the same VNC protocol implementation. And so you just have to make sure your port 9100 is open. You have a VNC client on your local machine. And that you're not running Wayland. <laughs> and, that, and that you're not running Wayland. That's right. Yeah. We'll just preface all of this by saying don't run Wayland. Um, yeah. And so then you would use that client on your local machine to connect to the remote machine with VNC. And that presents your entire desktop. So you would be using your desktop on your remote machine on your local machine, just as if you were sitting in front of it. Yeah. And there's a couple other options there too, that uh, I've played around with. I mean, uh, you also have uh, team viewer, which works pretty well. Um, and the nice part about team viewer, maybe nicer, not so nice. If you consider the security implications of this, uh, you don't have to worry about uh, setting up any type of, port forwarding and stuff like that because your box announces itself to the team viewer server and then you authenticate via team viewer and then you can see your boxes behind any firewall <laughs> right so, any any of these uh, applications that have a centralized location where the remote end reports where it's at yeah um then then you don't have to worry about all these firewall rules and port forwarding and all that kind of stuff yeah, but I think it, another one just like that is called No Machine, but I'm not sure if it has the same visibility as TeamViewer. I I don't know. I don't have any familiarity with No Machine. I do have plenty of familiarity with TeamViewer. Um, yeah. But these are downloadable applications that you can run on their cross-platform. Well, I don't know about No Machine, but I know No Team, Machine is, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Machine, yeah. So these are just ways to to remotely connect to your full desktop environment, and then you just use it locally as if you were sitting wherever the remote machine is. And uh, XRDP is the same way. It just uses the RDP, which is Microsoft protocol, to do the same thing. Generally speaking, I've, I've noticed that RDP seems to be a little quicker than VNC, especially over higher latency connections, but that's not always the case. I was actually trying XRDP on two machines connected to my local network here earlier, and it was really slow, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, but that that is what it is. Uh, if you just want a presentation of your entire desktop and to be able to just, you know, double-click on FLDG or WSJTX or whatever and, and have that present locally to you, uh, that will certainly work. Just remembering, of course, that all of the, I mean, RDP and I think even VNC have the ability to forward audio across the link. Um, 
but you don't really want to be doing that in the case of digital modes. You're going to be having all your audio locally. Yeah. And if you've done this in Windows and you've used the RDP client, you'll notice that, um, yeah, your audio devices get totally wigged out as soon as you do that because it injects the audio device of your connected computer and it becomes a default audio device and default um, communications device and generally screws up <laughs> everything everything on windows because that's just the way windows is team viewer is a little bit friendlier with that when it comes in and connects it never has that problem and i know linux generally doesn't uh doesn't allow any of these connections to uh to to take over any type of audio settings that are already present at least in my experience Right. And in this case, you want the audio to remain on the remote machine anyway, because that's where all of the audio, that's where all the audio processing is being done. You just want visibility into the applications. So that's, those are, those are pretty easy ways to get desktop or application support on a remote machine, uh, for shack operation. But we've got some other options, some, some which can actually do proper audio forwarding. If you actually want to do some like SSB work from a remote computer. Uh, which uh, we'll get into that in a second, but I know Bill wants me to talk about this uh, forwarding of Pulse Audio. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that work? <laughs> it does work. Um, I've only used it in a one-way scenario where, for example, I've taken a rig connected to a remote machine where I forwarded the audio instead of the application to a remote machine and then had a local copy for example, of FL Digi running, where it doesn't matter where the the rig is or, or anything like that. It just takes the audio stream over the network and decodes it locally. And I'm trying to think of like a case where that's better than the other thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's there are cases where you just want to listen and use your system as a receiver. And right. This is definitely one way to do that where you can just pull the audio and listen. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for doing any type of WSJTX work where time signatures and sequencing are really, really crucial because as soon as you start transporting the audio and then requiring that audio to be in time sync when with it actually being received. Right. And there's some built-in uh, latency in in the pulse audio tcp streaming that you can't really get rid of yeah so you're always going to be fighting that so if you're going to do remote wsgtx or something like that just do it remotely <laughs> and don't try and forward the audio but yeah, if your pulse is slow enough even on the desktop <laughs> right because <laughs> like you cannot monitor yourself in a microphone that's plugged into your computer inside a pulse because you will not you will talk like a drunk person <laughs> well do you do you know about the latency underscore msec thing for yeah. for the loopback module yeah because you but the problem is you can only set it as low as one and yeah. even that one will cause a tiny little bit of aphasia <laughs> yeah the so, one is actually like about 21 <laughs> when, right. when it gets down to going through the entire setup and I think you know, most humans can keep their stuff together with what they're hearing and what they're saying. If as long as it's within like a 15 millisecond range, as soon as you start escaping that that area, that delay is too much for your brain to process, and it becomes the hard, you know, it becomes hard to actually continue to speak <laughs> with hearing yourself not, you know, not in sequence. 
So right. yeah, yeah, no, almost nobody <laughs> uses, uses that for any type of recording purposes. Um, but like if, yeah, if you're doing WSJTX, obviously those time signatures on the receive. So you have the receive delay decode and then back, you're going to be doubly delayed, uh, for the conversation. So uh, I would not recommend that. Uh, man, I would almost not recommend any audio passing back and forth for any type of digital modes that require any type of uh, time sequencing. Right. Sorry, I'm I'm typing in the chat because there's chat. <laughs> we have chat going on. Um. Anyway, so so you can set up pulse audio on a remote machine to forward audio. You have to enable the TCP module, which is called what is it called? Module Native Protocol TCP which will create a, a network stream using TCP on port 4317, unless you specify otherwise. And that will just dump audio that goes into the sync out that stream. And if you have an application, for example, FL Digi, that can decode pulse audio directly, you can put that stream, in other words, remote host colon 4317, as the pulse audio device, and it will just ingest the stream and decode it as if it was local. Uh, you can, there's lots of other things you can add to that. Like you can specify who can connect to the stream using IP ACLs. Uh, you can do, uh, actual authentication, like username authentication and things like that. So you can get super crazy with this. And there's going to be a link in the show notes for a page that's pretty descriptive on how to set up some of these things. And you can also set the latency underscore msec, which as long as you're not, as long as you're not, uh, doing something that's highly latency sensitive, as we've already discussed, you don't really have to tweak that, but you can set it as low as one to get as close to a native stream as possible as, as pulse audio is able to give. And, uh, so that's one way to simply forward audio across a network stream and any, any remote application that can ingest that stream uh, will be able to to do something useful with it, you know, hopefully decode or whatever. Uh, but again, that's only audio coming towards the local machine from the remote machine. We haven't really touched on getting local audio back to the remote machine, but we're about to get into that now. Yeah, and that's um, uh, kind of what we're using right now to record this podcast, Mumble. <laughs> <laughs> Except for this is a uh, patch version of the Mumble Voice uh, chat software. It's called Mumble RF. And what this uh, allows you to do is to connect uh, your two-way radio, you know, um, in order to extend your, your, your being able to talk into it and uh, hear back. And what the software specifically provides, and we'll get into where this is used already a little bit later, but this, the software provides a squelch. Uh, output to be connected to the transceiver's push to talk input in order to set the transceiver to transmit mode when the audio is received from the mumble server and a, uh, a push to talk input driven by the transceiver's uh, squelch output for sending the audio to the mumble server when a radio frequency call is received. So this is uh, kind of the, uh, the, the, 
one of the very few ways, uh, there are other ways you can definitely code around this particular, the particular issue, but, um, this is specifically designed for ham radio use in order to get you that audio back and forth to your rig and to, you know, obviously wherever you're listening to your rig, whether that be on your cell phone or your computer, or what have you. Um, obviously mumble clients are everywhere. So you can connect via Mumble to your Mumble RF server, and uh, you would have full audio back and forth into your your radio if you had it uh, properly configured. Absolutely. So do you want to talk about that project, or do you want to talk about the other things in here first? And, no, let's, uh, let's keep going on the uh, the roll your own, and then we'll kind of talk about where where I've seen this actually deployed. Okay, and my do- see all our windows are open now, so the rough, dogs are rough, like rough. going crazy, <laughs> and we can actually hear them now because all the windows are open. I have no idea what they're freaking out about, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is a is a bit about application control, desktop control, and forwarding of audio from one machine to another. But there's also another component of this whole. Uh, remote hamshack thing, and that's controlling your rig remotely. And there's a couple of ways we have listed here. The first one is Hamlib. Hamlib is nice because it has a database of lots of rigs that it knows how to control, uh, which is growing probably daily. And it has the notion of having TCP connected servers. So you can spin up rig control D on one port or two ports, or many ports, depending on how many rig control devices and rigs you have. And those are then exposed on TCP ports. And, of course, an open TCP port can be pushed through a firewall or, you know, punched through a a DSL device or a cable modem or whatever. And then you can access it remotely for any application that knows how to talk to a remote rig control D, which is any application that supports rig control D. So... This will work with FL Rig, FL Digi, WSJTX, uh, PSK31LX, presumably. I assume that has Hamlib support. Uh, Ted will correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, <laughs> or not PSK31LX, because that's not his. It's the other one. Um, what, what is his? <laughs> TW, TWPSK. That's it. TWPSK, yeah. I was about to say, they all start with TW, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, TWPSK. So uh, if that doesn't have Hamlib support, then Ted will tear me a new one here on the show. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's one way to do it. And then you have in here, and this is an application I don't use, but I'm thinking about playing around with it in the near future because I, I hear there's been some, uh, I hear I hear on a certain program that airs every so often that uh, there's been some updates to FL Rig. Uh, that uh, <laughs> that might make it more interesting to me. So tell me about FL Rig and remote operation. Well, FL Rig kind of operates very similarly to um, to um, blah. Sorry, uh, to uh, Hamlib, and which is, it does expose the ability to control FL Rig remotely or use FL Rig's capability to uh you know using your application and stuff like that a lot of a lot of applications like WSJTX FL Digi um all have an option of using FL Rig as their rig control and you can set up FL Rig to be a server in which it exposes uh like an XML RPC port uh which is just a a different protocol but it's basically the same thing it exposes a port that you can then use uh 
from anywhere because obviously once you have that port on the TCP stack, you can now take that port and use it either um, you know, via your secure shell, you know, go in there and actually reroute the port or do a port forwarding so you can see that port locally on the machine you're connecting to, or you can connect directly if you have it exposed via your firewall or what have you. Is, is does FL rig use Hamlib underneath? I do not think so, no. Okay. I was just curious about that because I didn't want to have like another layer of abstraction on top of this if it was doing something differently. But also, um, can you run multiple instances connecting multiple rigs to FL rig on multiple ports for multiple yes. remote control? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it essentially is the same. I like FL rig better because it also provides a UI for rig control um, that you can use kind of independently of everything else. And depending upon your rig, it has some stuff that's already exposed because people expose like, you know, filters, you know, buttons and stuff like that, noise reduction, DSP settings and stuff that you can see in the UI, which is, uh, which is pretty slick. It, do, it does give you a really cool UI. And of course we mentioned in, in our short topic show, I believe that, uh, that, you know, there's, uh, changes to, uh, I think it was the, uh, the, 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 uh, saved, uh, save stations, memory, memory stations. Yeah. Sorry. Memory, <laughs> memory stations. Uh, so, uh, yeah, all that stuff would be accessible and you can set up multiple rigs, obviously on your machine. Uh, and, and of course you'd want to have, you know, different, different port numbers and stuff like that. So it's the same thing with Hamlib. You need to, you need to, you need to manage that stuff. You know, this is stuff that is not for, you know, the novice user, because now, you know, if you just run rig control D, it's going to come up on the default port, which is like what, 4237 or something like it's, that. It's uh, 4532. 4532. Yeah. I was, I was close. You were close. Yep. <laughs> I was in the four thousands. Yeah. So you like, if you launch another one, it's just going to say, uh, oh, ports, ports blocked. A port's already open. So yeah, you need to, you need to kind of have a little bit of savviness with uh, being able to operate that and being able to spin up multiple copies, you know, with different ports and what you want to control and stuff like that. And of course with Hamlib, you, you also get, um, rig control, not rig, uh, rotator control. So you can actually control your rotator remotely as well, which is, which is pretty slick uh, on top of everything else beyond the rig. Yep. If you're doing a lot of satellite operation or just have a, you know, <clears throat> super multi element Yagi up in the air and you need to rotate that to, to make your 220, you know, contacts. <laughs> because you're pointing the wrong way. Yeah, rotator control is handy for that. I, I, I've never used a rotator, so I, I feel I've, I'm behind the Well, you had the strong arm rotator, right? When well, that's this, true. That yeah. Tower. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 50 feet of nylon rope. That was my rotator. So. <laughs> and that's just as effective. Of course, you can't do it remotely, but you could possibly have somebody out there and yell at them, Northeast, Northeast, <laughs> move Northeast. Yep. 321 degrees. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah. All right. They're out there with their compass. They're like, oh my God, where the heck am I? <laughs> All right. So anyway, we, we mentioned a little bit ago here, not, not too long ago, actually. Um, some not off the shelf solutions. These are some package solutions. And one of them was based on one of the off, off the shelf solutions we talked about, Mumble RF. Mm-hmm. So we're going to sort of slide as smoothly as we possibly can into pre-packaged solutions here. And the first one is, is, uh, uses Mumble RF as a component and it's RigPy. And Bill has actually sort of quasi built one of these. So he's going to tell us all about it. 
Yeah, and we had uh, we had Howard on the show, right? Not we did. Howard here. Nurse uh, was the guy, and I can't remember what his call sign is, but uh, HN. I know it's uh, ends in HN <laughs> Hotel November, <laughs> right? It's like something for HN or something like that, and it's probably totally wrong. Somebody in the chat will will, will tell us what his call sign is. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, he put out puts out a project, and when we were talking to him, they had not actually officially launched it via MFJ. That was one of the things that was coming up. It was going to be the MFJ one two three four. And that product is now available. I looked at it today. It's 320 bucks, but you can roll your own if you want, don't want to do that. Um, but they all work the same sort of way. It's a Raspberry Pi based remote station. And so take it away. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the rig Pi. So basically everything we talked about above in your roll your own solution, most of that is already in play here. So the rig Pi basically becomes that shack computer that is connected to your rig directly. And the rig Pi software provides the X windows environment, uh, via the raspberry Pi. And it has some software on it that, uh, that we're all familiar with WSJTX, FL Digi, so on and so forth. Um, there's a few things that it provides extra that makes it, um, a compelling device. And, um, one of the things is the fact that it's all set up via the web browser. So it has a uh, nice UI. I won't say it's a stellar UI because, you know, it is what it is. It, it's a web page. So it's web driven. So you can set up everything web driven on your device. So you can set up your, your rig control, your, your, uh, wind keyer and stuff like that, which if you buy the device, it comes with the audio control. It comes with, um, the CW, the Morse code keyer, basically based on, I think the K1 EL when, when, when USB key design, and it comes with the rig Pi and all the software. So when you plug this thing in, it comes up, gets an IP address on your network. Uh, if you, if you only have Wi-Fi, then you might have to go plug it in and, <laughs> Uh, you might have to search for it. Um, if, uh, if you can do name local or whatever, it does come up as like rigpi.local on your, your local network. Bonjour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bonjour. Uh, a, so sometimes you can see those local names. I've, uh, I have hit, hit and miss, uh, <laughs> hit and miss with those, uh, on my machines here. So I generally know the IP addresses of the machines and stuff like that. But anyways, it gives you a web, web page. You go in, you just put in your call sign, uh, your information. It has, uh, you know, some direct hookups to QRZ for its logging capabilities. And, uh, once you get past that, you're into rig, you know, the rig setup area where you select what rig, um, what port it's on, uh, like, you know, USB S01 or whatever that your rig happens to be plugged in on for rig control. Um, USB zero one. How long have you been doing this? I don't know. <laughs> USB S zero one. That's that's a nice conglomeration of serial and USB. All right, like S something something something. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's Whiskey Six Hotel November W six H. Oh, okay. There you go. So, so let's see here. I don't. I don't even know. I'm on the wrong box to even see. I'm not even on my. Uh, let me Your rig switch. Pie. Let me switch over to my rig pie. And I'm not then, sure you uh, can call it a rig pie if you didn't buy it. 
Yeah, so well, that's that's the other thing. So let's see here. Let me just look at my ports. Uh, message. So there's two ways you can do this. You can buy the Rig Pi, and I can see my Rig, rig my Raspberry Pi is complaining about all kinds of stuff <laughs> in the log. <laughs> so you're gonna run out of space on your logs, and the thing's gonna lock up, and you're gonna be like, oh, this yeah, is yeah. This is a this is the the bad part about actually running a a Raspberry Pi in general <laughs> is that you're reliant on that SD card not uh, wigging out and everything else with all the other issues with the Raspberry Pi, like thermal issues and whatnot. So anyway, um, the Rig Pi, if you buy the hardware, it comes with the three items I said, the, Rig, the, the Raspberry Pi 3, the board for audio in case you're going to bring in direct audio, and I believe that has a... Uh, speaker inputs basically and then like a microphone. So basically it gives you a sound card interface. Um, not quite a signal link per se, unless you only use like the mic inputs on the back of your signal, signal link and the, uh, speaker output on your signal link. Um, and it provides that, that wind keyer as well. So you can key the rig, uh, via USB. Um, or if you don't want to, sh- Shell out the three hundred and what'd you say three hundred thirty dollars or something? Three 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 nineteen, I think, is the list price on it right now. Three nineteen. So if you don't want to shell out the three nineteen, technically you can go to uh, uh, mfj.com and buy the software package, and the software package is only like twenty nine ninety five, which is what I did because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to try it out. But I didn't want to buy a device because I have a Raspberry Pi three. I have a wind gear and I have my sound box. I have my signal link. And, uh, so that's, that's literally what I have here. And, uh, I set it up quite rapidly while we were on discord earlier <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't take anything. It's like two screens and you're, you basically are connected to the radio and you can do everything except for I didn't connect my audio yet. So I, I haven't tested that uh, and i'm doing air quotes here i haven't tested that but i know it would work because you know the signal link box on uh, my c703 runs flawlessly um audio in and out because i use it for wsjtx and everything else all the time so uh yeah no big deal getting that set up later on um but what you get is that raspberry pi 3 is now your your device you can remote into using vnc which is already built in uh, to run your applications like, you know, WSJTX, you know, your time sensitive apps, your digital apps. So that's what you'll find in the installation under the ham radio section is FL Digi, FL Rig, Jess 8 Call, um, stuff that you want to run with that. And let's see here. It also yeah. exposes a responsive website that you can do control using a mobile device. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing. That website is, is quite responsive. And it allows you to run it on any device, uh, meaning the, the viewport for the website. And if you're familiar with websites, a viewport is the stuff you can see. <laughs> uh, it adjusts to, to your device without issue. So like on a cell phone, you'll see your, you know, a little jog dial that allows you to tune the rig and get a display of what your main band is, your sub band for your two VFOs. If you have multiple VFOs on the rig that you plugged it into and you'll get an S meter if uh, your particular radio supports that via um, Hamlib and some don't. So don't be surprised if it doesn't work for you. Um, I'm just trying to see what version of 
WSJTX they have on here by default. So the the version that came with the build that I have is 2.01, which is pretty old. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's extremely old actually. Yeah, so I haven't updated this build since I since I got it running. I did I did change the the background so it has the Linux and the Hamshack background. So you can you can download that from our website. <laughs> and you should put that on every device you own. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly could because it's a functional Linux distribution. So there you go. Right. So when, when the, the rig pie comes up, not only does it launch, um, this website that's now available via, you know, any, any device, it also launches the rig pie, uh, or sorry, the, uh, mumble RF server, um, already connected. So it already sets up and knows that the pie is going to be connected. All you need to do at this point is establish your audio devices, um, that are actually talking back and forth to your rig. Once you have that set up, then all you need to do is to basically connect. <laughs> you can hear the audio from your rig. So super simple, super easy. Um, the software obviously is, uh, is pretty, uh, pretty slick. The only thing I would say specifically about this particular product is the fact that it is running on a Raspberry Pi three. Um, there is no builds for a Raspberry Pi four, which I have more of here because <laughs> it has more memory and more processing power and stuff like that. So there are some, some limitations. I, I won't, I, mean, I won't say significant limitations because you can operate, but the raspberry Pi three being as it is at the time, it was a great little box, but the raspberry Pi four is way more powerful. And uh, in theory, most of the software I believe if you spend a little time on it, you could actually run all this from your primary Linux box that maybe is like an i5 or an i7 or, you know, an AMD processor that has quite a, quite a bit of significant power increase, uh, instead of this box. And then you would, you would have the best of everything. You would have that remote you know, remote everything. You already have everything plugged in. Why, why would you need a Raspberry Pi to slow down your, your, your system? I understand the the reason for building it for a Pi to have a nice consolidated small single board solution, but the next thing they should do is uh, one build for Pi four, and two create rig PC, which is the PC Intel version of the same software package. Right, and uh, as we talked, I don't think we put that out in in the uh, the main program but we did have some discussions about this in the past and there are a few of the controls that they use specifically in the web ui that are not necessarily open um source so there are some some hindrances and i think this is what's held up this particular the software side of this application from being fully released to the github site so if you've been following rigpi for a while and have traveled to the RigPi website and then gone to their their GitHub site, you'll notice that there's really nothing there. <laughs> there <laughs> there's virtually a readme and go buy this product, basically, um, which is really nothing wrong with that. I can understand. They have uh, some hindrances in the software, what have you, so it can't technically be released because you need to purchase a license for the software. And because of that, probably that's the only thing I, I can see um, I think Andy told us that's, that's all he could see as well looking through all the code. So 
It would be, uh, it would be interesting though. So it's a kind of a cool product. And if you kind of want an all in box, one box solution that you can kind of hack with too, because it is on a Raspberry Pi. And if you're familiar with Linux, meaning you've, you're listening to the show because you're familiar with Linux <laughs> or have some Linux, the Raspberry Pi runs Linux. It's amazing. Uh, it goes to show you what you can actually do with all the extra tools, you know, Hamlib, Mumble, um, all the digital tools, Pulse Audio, you, you name it, it's all being used here. So this is a great example of what you can do full stack if we were to call the entire suite full stack um, for your remote rig setup. So I don't see any specific questions about this, but um, but yeah, you, you can buy this the software from MFJ for the Raspberry Pi 3. It's already a build. And all you do is flash an SD card and throw it right into your Raspberry Pi 3 and, you know, expand the, you know, the file system, what have you. It's, you know, dead simple. <laughs> it does not take any time at all. Um, you can play around with the remote system. So it has a larger screen when you VNC in. Like I don't have mine plugged into a monitor or keyboard or anything else like that right now. It's literally only plugged into the network and into the radios. Um, but you, you, you know, you know, all the Raspberry Tri, uh, Pi tricks. So you just go into the Raspberry Pi configurator and you can set how big you want that screen to be by default. And of course you reboot it and so on and so forth. They do say that. If you run this, that uh, you definitely want it on a power supply that's reliable, meaning you don't want it on a light switch. <laughs> <laughs> they suggest not shutting it off um, abruptly. Uh, you want to do a clean shutdown because of the logging software and everything else. Um, the web UI does provide you um, several tabs. It's a tuner tab that has all the ability to, you know, change bands and control the radio. You have a keyer which accesses, you know, your keyer, which in my case is my 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 K1 EL Win keyer plugged in via USB, and it does work. Although I think the speed's off a little bit. <laughs> I haven't looked at that to see uh, what I've set on my uh, Win keyer, but I haven't plugged in in a little bit. Um, has a logger, so you have a full logging capability built into the application, which is kind of slick. Um, again, if you have your log on your Raspberry Pi, it's most likely on an SD card. I don't consider that reliable. <laughs> You'll want to consider, go back and listen to our deep dive on backup solutions. Uh, <laughs> you would definitely want this to be backed up somewhere else and not relying on the SD card surviving a reboot, a power bump, a brownout, you know, whatever you have in your area. Uh, it also provides a, a spots tab so you can see uh, DX spots. And that's that's pretty slick too because it follows the, the radio band as well. So like mine right now is sitting on 40 meters. So I'm looking at spots. I just clicked over to the spots tab. It shows me all the spots uh, specifically on 40 meters with a nice little grid UI of all the spots. And on the right, it shows me the band map and where they're located on the band. And I just hit my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and if I click on, uh, if I click on one, I don't know if it'll actually go. Yeah, it actually, uh, did it go to it? Let's see here. Tom says his Raspberry Pi 3 in the office is connected to his light switch. <laughs> yeah. Well, as it should be, right? Because it's a, it's a throwaway computer. Uh, let's see. I'm not 
uh, oh yeah, it is. Okay, so yeah, if I click the spots inside the band map, it is controlling the rig and switching bands. So it's you know seventy seventy four, uh, another one seventy seventy four. But here's a CW station W six K is down on uh, seventy thirty seven, and uh, ZS one JK JX is uh, down on uh, seven seven zero zero eight. So yeah, that works marvelously. Like you, just as you would expect it to work if you had. You know, a really good logging program with the DX cluster integration. Let's say, like I don't know, CQR log, <laughs> which uh, Russ is going to. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Well, that's a, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yep, yep. And then, of course, you have web lookup of your spots or whoever you're trying to work. Um, and then you have uh, access to all the settings and stuff like that. So um, I haven't really dug into that much deeper than uh, than as far as I've discussed it so far. So I'm not going to go any further but you know know that there are two options you can buy the device at you know 300 and whatever 19 dollars um depending on where you go um plus you might need connecting cables if you don't have connecting cables so that might be an additional expense or you can buy the software if you already have like all the componentry and everything else sitting around the house uh or the shack like i do and uh, you can play with it and i think that's a pretty low barrier of entry you know 30 bucks to uh try it out and also you know hopefully it some of it trickles back to the author and stuff like that because building a website and stuff like that is, is is quite quite complex work and it's really awesome to see this particular um uh integration uh so uh definitely uh I think it's definitely worth the $30 entry fee <laughs> so, just to play with it. I don't know if I'm going to actually use it beyond just, uh, just trying it out and stuff like that and playing with it. Um, but, uh, it's definitely a, a compelling piece of uh, software and it, it's a good, it's a good visible source of how well you can control your ham shack via Linux, um, all with the raspberry Pi. So, uh, so let's move on to the next commercial saw product. Um, let's see, we have a, this one's been out for about five years now. This is the rig expert, uh, WTI dash one. And, uh, I remember watching this when it first came out. This one is, uh, I believe I'm, I'm going to go off of memory here, but I do have the sheet in front of me. <laughs> this one actually plugs in via Wi-Fi. So this one is specifically wants to connect via Wi-Fi to your system. Uh, and to your rig. So this is a standalone unit that plugs into your rig, you know, via an expensive cable, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and then to your Wi-Fi to connect via network and it provides you a web UI as well to access your device. I don't know much about this device. I know at one point when it first came out, it was in the $400 range. Um, and then about, I think it was about a year ago, it dropped down to, sub $200. But uh, now that I'm looking at trying to find one again, uh, all I see is a bundle with, which includes a router and a bunch of crap you don't need <laughs> for $459 on a certain uh, something, something engineering site. So um, I'm not sure what's going on with that. You can't buy the device by itself and I don't see the cables separately. Um, so I'm not sure if this one's uh, still alive anywhere, but I, you know, it has been out for five years and at least everything I've seen with it and the videos I've seen with it, it's pretty slick. It's a, it's a pretty slick, uh, device. I don't know what actually it runs under, 
but it basically just provides you that that access to the rig uh, via the web browser, basically. Um, let's see. The next one is I'm switching between tabs here. Oh yeah, yeah. So let's say you have a rig that has a detachable head. I don't know, like um, you got one of these, right? An IC seventy one hundred. Yes, I do. Yeah, or a you know a TS four eighty from Kenwood, or an IC seven oh six, a seven oh three. I think Yezu has one with a detachable face. Uh, the eight fifty seven comes to mind. Um, there's a product called Remote Rig, uh, the RRC dash twelve fifty eight Mark twos. This one has as well been out for quite a while. And this is a hardware solution where it sits in between your rig and your remote head for your radio. So let's say you leave your rig back home, you go to Hamvention and you have your cell phone providing a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> the second device to the head unit of your rig, so the face of the rig, and uh, via the interwebs, uh, connect to the base of the rig. And... Uh, the rig operates just as it would as if you were sitting right in front of it without the extension remote cable <laughs> that, that runs across the interwebs. And I have used this before on the, um, the TS 480, uh, SAT. And it, it's actually quite amazing because, uh, everything works just as you would think it would work. Um, especially if your head provides sound. Which most of them do anyway. Box actually provides a sound. It also provides a place to plug in your paddle or your your Morse code key or whatever you're using. Um, or key, sorry. Uh, so it allows you to do all of that. Now it, it does come with a huge price. <laughs> it's not cheap, and it, I don't think it's ever been cheap. So, um, but it is a compelling solution if you happen to have a rig with a remote head. I'm um, just going to go to their website here real quick. Yeah, it works for Yezus. Um, uh, looks like uh, Elecraft uh, it does uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think here. Yeah, I don't see anything else on there that I didn't already cover. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a compelling interface to use for that type of setup. And I have heard of people making their own little connecting cables and stuff like that. You can check, you know, uh, the YouTubes and everything else of people that hack together their own interface cable for these devices. These devices have been around for a long time. They should be available via, you know, you know, third party market and stuff like that. If you wanted to buy a used one, that should be available for you. Um, and definitely another option for remoting your rig if you happen to have one of those units that are compatible. Um, I'm going to skip over that for a second and talk a little bit about RemoteQTH.com. And uh, RemoteQTH.com is a source for designs, solutions, pre-built stuff, all for the purpose of remoting your ham radio station. And uh, these are more components for the other items, like, uh, you know, uh, antenna switches, uh, rotator controls, rotator interfaces, uh, some antenna stuff. But primarily, I remember when this first came out, they were providing designs and boards and pre-built solutions for, for doing stuff 
that would be more accessory based inside of your remote station. So things, things that you, you would want to be able to do that your rig can't do on its own, like switching the antenna. You know, everybody, <laughs> if you have multiple antennas, uh, or you're switching bands, let's say you have a, you know, an HF through six meter rig and you have a separate antenna for six meters. Uh, not all rigs have the ability to switch the antenna. So you might need a remote antenna switch. And there's a lot of projects on here, uh, not just all for sale. But also with design information and uh, how you can build one yourself, and then also how to buy one. <laughs> so uh, then you know, hey, you know, lazy guy wants to buy it, whatever. Um, but uh, they do provide a lot of documentation on exactly how everything is. Of the manuals inside a wiki, they have uh, uh, KiCad files if you want to build the boards or get the boards ordered or what have you. Um, yeah, full schematics for everything, uh, including up to date any type of errata that uh, had come across since the device had got originally released, and most of them are at, at have attributed under the non commercial 2.0 generic license. So it is a Creative Commons uh, license. So um, definitely a source for being able to get these kind of accessories into your system if you have a complex station you know most of us yeah i don't know i don't want to say most of us but (laughs) i have you know an antenna per rig here (laughs) it's not very complicated (laughs) if it had two antenna ports maybe i'd have two antennas um (laughs) but uh, my rigs don't have that uh so uh so yeah i don't have to worry about that too much if i need another hf antenna i'll just throw up another hf antenna no big deal um, but yeah, so that's a that's a kind of an interesting source for sort of open design uh, hardware for doing you know complex accessories. Let's say I, I don't know how to better describe that. Um, so yeah, check out remoteqth.com. Um, and then I was also going to mention for remote stations, there's always these vendor specific remote options. Um, you have the Elecraft, uh, the K3 and the K30. I remember when that that came out and they basically had that little empty K3 box that you basically plug in via the network and you can talk to your K3 at home and then you just run this K3 zero when you're remote. That was always kind of cool. Um, obviously, in SDR radios like Flex radios, Sun SDR and stuff like that that already operate via – yeah. <laughs> K three zero is expensive. Yes, <laughs> yeah. SDR all all of these pre built solutions seem to be on the upper end. Yeah, so. this is not open source. We're talking about here. So yeah, so like uh, SDR solutions, Flex Radio, um, uh, Sun SDR. Uh, there's several of them that uh, are uh, Apache SDR. Is that is that what they're still called? Anons. I, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so that they operate via U, uh, Ethernet anyway. So in theory, you can run your SDR software remotely. Of course, there would be additional delay to get that data back and forth between your rig and whatever device you're running. Uh, the flex radios have the Maestro that's specifically this way, right? It's, it's a remote faceplate for the radio that provides a UI and everything else. Um, yeah, high barrier of entry price wise. Uh, the Temtech Omni 7, I mean, those are slightly uh, long in the tooth, but, uh, uh, technically those, those had a US or a Ethernet connection on the back and provided a UI for accessing the rig remotely. And I know 
quite a few people, um, at least back in the day. I don't know. I want to say too far back in the day, maybe like 10 years ago. Oh, well, we're using this quite, uh, quite, uh, quite often on the 10 text. And of course the 10 text, uh, you know, even though the company has sadly gone through weird, you know, closures, opening, closures, opening, <laughs> ownership change and so on and so forth. Uh, great rig, you know, a great rig. So I don't know. I don't know what the status of the, the Omni software is in these, these days and whether it's still usable or not, but it's definitely one that has a built in solution to the radio. Um, you know, if I could get my hands on an Omni seven to play with, I would probably still try it out. <laughs> um, I of course, uh, I, I believe they had a similar solution to the, uh, um, the uh the ability to have one rig control another rig over the uh over the internet and i believe the last rig i saw do this was the 7700 i'm not sure if that's a standard feature across rigs i mean i do have a couple icom rigs here um but for the rigs that don't have that capability the icom does provide software uh, for remoting your ham radio called the RSBA one. Um, and it might have a new version now too. I think there's a, a newer version to support, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the waterfall displays on the, the newer rigs and stuff like that, but that's only available for windows. So it's a very specific use case. Um, I have used that software. It does work. It works excellently <laughs> and, uh, as it should. Cause you do pay, I think it's like a hundred dollars for that, that piece of software. But I mean, if you use it, you know, and you need it, it I mean, it does work. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it is a commercial solution. So that, that's, it's specifically designed for what it's for. You know, it's, it's for that particular rig and it, it should work fine, uh, in a windowing environment or windows environment. Um, can you run it in a, uh, emulator, like, you know, virtual box or something like that? I don't know. Maybe probably good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't see why not. Um, have I tested it? No, I haven't tested it. So I can't tell you whether it'll work, uh, in, in Linux via virtual box or some other emulating software that allows you to run that like wine or crossover Linux or something like that. Most likely it would work, but, uh, you'd have to try it out or check with somebody that actually knows that. So I, I think that covers the, the off the shelf solutions that I could come up with that, uh, uh, that, um, well, yeah, that I put together in the last five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Hey, don't give away all of our secrets for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah, yeah. I know we've been going longer than five minutes. You know I wasn't looking it up while I was uh, just randomly <laughs> yeah, chatting right. here. So, yeah, I did it five minutes before the show. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I was looking all day, and I was trying to remember everything I, I've seen that uh, that is a, that's been out there and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, what we like is the stuff that's, all Linuxy, you know, the stuff Linuxy and open source. That's the idea. Yeah. These, these where you roll your own solution or you get something that, you know, maybe like the Rick by has, has some software that, you know, has some encumbrances. Um, but like you do pay the author, the author hopefully gets money for it. Um, with just a software only purchase. Uh, I don't think, I don't think for 300 bucks, I'm, I'm, I would buy it. Uh, it just doesn't seem that valuable to me, but I can see where people looking at some of these other options would spend 300 bucks. Maybe they don't even have a Raspberry Pi. Well, <laughs> you know? for those people who don't ne- necessarily have the knowledge set, then $320 may be an appropriate price for 
for a device that sort of rolls everything into one and just works out of the box. But, you know, we're, we're here to tell you there are other options and then certainly less expensive and more open sourcey ways to do these same things. Yeah. And I mean, the Rick by is a perfect example of all the open source stuff done right. You know, um, you know, kudos to, to Howard nurse. I mean, it, it is, it is pretty, uh, pretty solid. I'm sure people could complain about stuff, but, it, it's it's a pretty good build. It's it's uh, it took a lot of effort, and uh, I know he 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 had people helping him. He wasn't working alone. <laughs> yeah, and all, and all those people again, kudos to you. You guys, you guys did a great job putting this together. Um, but uh, that leads us to the next item, which is what? Oh, rent a station. Oh yeah, if you want a remote a station that's not yours, and you want to rent a station. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> and why, why did you even bother to put it in the show notes if it's something we're not going to talk about? Just because it's an option, just, but we're not going to talk about it? It is an option. Like, you know, uh, let's say you don't have that, you know, house in the country and uh, or, you, you know, a relative that doesn't mind you throwing up, you know, 200-foot tower in their backyard and then, you know, stealing all their interweb bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> you, like might, a- you might think about renting a station. And, um, you know, hey, you're on your own there, but there's obviously, um, you know, at least three or four companies that I know that do rent full stations that employ some level of software. Some of them have rolled their own solutions for software. So, um, all the, all the connected devices like amplifiers, antennas and whatnot are all UI controlled through the web. Uh, some offer RDP access or, you know, team viewer access to the, to the computer that's there, what have you, um, that's there, uh, and that's available to you. But hopefully you have a station that you maybe just want to operate from, uh, I don't know, like maybe at the office because, you know, working at the office is boring when nobody else shows up to work because of COVID-19 and, <laughs> and you're the only one allowed to be there inside of your, you know, 10 foot square box, or maybe you're in a cubicle and you're in a, you know, a four by four square box. And, uh, you know, only 50% of the people are there on the days you're there. And sometimes you're not doing anything and you might want to pop open your phone and maybe you can get away with that and you can, pop up your display and like, Oh, I can work some ham radio here on my cell phone. (laughs) Get some of those contacts during the day. You know, those rare DX day contacts that you want to get on the higher bands because by the time you get home, it's, uh, you know, just 40 and 80 and it's too noisy in the city or what have you. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's just, there's, there's so many possibilities and even this is a deep dive. I, I think we're barely in the shallow end. Uh, there, there's so many things you can do because you, the only thing that limits you is your creativity and your ability to, uh, to try stuff out. I mean, there's just a million ways to pass audio around. There's a million ways to pass data around and everything, you know, application wise is all being passed around via either TCP <laughs> network stack or via the UI, which again can be forwarded via the, the, the networking stack. So, um, yeah, you have almost no excuse at all to, uh, to not even try that. <laughs> Well, I think we were talking about the solutions because we could probably do a deep dive into any one of these solutions. Oh, and, yeah. and we actually already have talked about Rig Pi as a deep dive. So, but this just definitely gives you the options. And then each of these solutions has, of course, their own uh, bonuses and caveats and things like that. But 
uh, most of them, at least from the the lists that I've you know seen that we talked about, are are reasonably well documented, especially the commercial ones or the prepackaged solutions. So it, it shouldn't be too hard to dive into any one of these if you want to get into it. And you know, you can do anything from as simple as porting an application using SSH to full blown hardware software, you know, integrated packages. So lots of options out there for your remote operation needs. And I don't know, let's see, do we have any specific questions in the chat room we can address before we, because I think, I think we kind of got down through it. Yeah, I think so. I'm just kind of looking through here. Yeah, Ted points out that X, the XORG server, is network aware. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, it does operate over a network stack, usually on the same machine, but doesn't have to. Absolutely does not have to. That's kind of the, uh, one of the design considerations of its architecture. And we've talked about some ways you can leverage that for remote operations. So, and of course, there are X servers for uh, multiple platforms. So that that same network connectivity over desktop applications is available on whatever desktop system you happen to be using. Tom had mentioned a uh, WK Mini as opposed to the uh, USB Win key that I have. This is just a compact version. Actually, it's also a K1EL design. So, And it seems like the prepackaged solutions like RigPy and stuff are fairly uh, peripheral agnostic, so they should work with almost anything. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a Raspberry Pi, so it has four USB ports on it. Right. (laughs) And, like, right now I have... uh, yeah, I have the uh, the CIV control uh, for a cat control for the rig plugged in, the the signal link and the uh, the the other box, the K one EL wind gear. So if I had yep. one more device, I'd be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think that gets us down to the bottom of the program. And if you have any questions about that or follow ups. Or would like some additional information, you know we like feedback, so please send it to us, and we'll try and address it as best we can, uh, given the subset of information and experience we both have. Um, you know, we don't know everything about everything. We probably only know a little bit about anything, but <laughs> at least we're putting the information out there. So... All right. Well, this has been uh, an episode about remote operation. But before we go, I did want to make a mention that we will not be recording live on October 1st because I will not be at home. There may be an episode streaming on October 1st because we have something we're trying to queue up and get recorded uh, for the next deep dive episode, which that would be. Um, so hopefully there's a there's at least something going on on Thursday night, but it will 99.9% likely not be a live recording. It will be a, uh, it'll be from Memorex if it's anything. Uh, but, but there will be a deep dive of, of some kind released at an appropriate time, just not necessarily recorded at the usual time. So I make people aware of that. And that's it. But we do want to acknowledge the people who are with us in the chat room tonight. And we had a nice lively conversation in there. So we'll mention Darren, VK6EK, Ted, WA0EIR, Tony, K4XSS, Stacy, KB7YS, Tom, N4, hi! Yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting for that one. I know. Don, KC9ZMY, and Dan, KF5TQN. So thanks, everybody. 
for listening to the show tonight. We hope you get something out of this, and we hope it uh, helps you discover all that you need to know about your remote operation needs. And like I said, follow us up with follow up with us if you need to, and we'll answer our questions or your questions as best we can. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try and answer our own yeah, questions we'll too. Answer, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we do try and do that. Sometimes I have problems even asking my own questions. <laughs> But, <laughs> <No kidding. laughs> shut up okay yeah no i was, I was just agreeing same way same way okay. <laughs> i think i make more questions than answers when i talk so <laughs> uh, but anyway thanks again this has been uh pretty interesting at least as far as i'm concerned i hope it's the same for everybody else episode of linux in the hand shack number 368 and for the on assignment cheryl w5moo i'm k5tux my name's russ and I'm Bill, any 4RD73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freeload network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.